Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Bill Werner on the prospects of a special session. Tasha Radel has the scoop on the DNR State Park Total Takeover event. And Mike Grimm has an exclusive chat with new Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle. But first, federal officials announced earlier this week that there was insufficient evidence to prosecute the two officers involved in the fatal shooting of Jamar Clark of any civil rights violations. It was the latest development in what has been a painful, divisive, and sometimes volatile several months since officers shot and killed the 24-year-old Clark in North Minneapolis last November. In March, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman announced no state charges would be brought against the two officers, and on Wednesday, U.S. Attorney Andrew Luger laid out the details of the federal investigation. Under Section 242, it is a crime for a law enforcement officer acting willfully to deprive an individual of their constitutional rights. Under this federal law, to prove that a shooting such as occurred here, violated Mr. Clark's rights, the government would have had to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that the officer's use of force was objectively unreasonable based on the circumstances at the time. Also, to prove that the shooting violated Section 242, the government would have had to prove that the officers acted willfully, that is, that they acted with the specific intent to do something that the law forbids. And I want you to understand that this is one of the highest legal standards in the criminal law. Under this standard, it is not enough to show that the officers made a mistake, that they acted negligently or by accident, or even that they exercised bad judgment. To prove a crime under Section 242, we would have had to show that they specifically intended to commit a crime. Luger said that a key element to the investigation was whether Clark was handcuffed and shot execution style without a struggle, as some witnesses had stated. Because of the disparity across witnesses regarding whether or how Mr. Clark was handcuffed, we look carefully at forensic evidence so, and whether the forensic evidence supported or contradicted the officer's statements. Two pieces of evidence were very important to our conclusion. First, the only handcuffs recovered from the scene were tested for DNA and were determined to have insufficient DNA for any identification. These handcuffs were found on the ground next to Mr. Clark, who was not handcuffed when he was placed into an ambulance shortly after the shooting. But after Luger's statement, North Minneapolis pastor Danny Gibbons argued it was about more than the handcuffs. The incessant focus on whether or not he was handcuffed and whether or not the eyewitnesses uh, testimonies uh, corroborated with the fact that he was handcuffed wasn't really the issue that we needed to see here. The fact of the matter is, is that there was an unarmed black man who was assaulted by the Minneapolis Police Department and ultimately murdered. But in this instance, all we've seen was, was a narrative that continues to reinforce the old narrative that has been over the centuries, where black and brown bodies and, and, and people of color, we just don't matter. We don't count in this community. We don't count in this world. Luger was somber as he concluded his statement Wednesday. There are no winners here, and there's no victory for anyone. A young man has died, and it is a tragedy. As a father with children the same age as Jamar Clark, my heart goes out to his family, and I told them so before this event. 
Jamar Clark's tragic death has raised serious questions that must be addressed. We believe that law enforcement and the community in Minnesota must enter into a serious dialogue on the use of force in Minnesota. Minneapolis NAACP President Nakima Levy-Pounds agreed that it's time for a change, but from her perspective... The sad part about what we heard today is that none of it surprises us. What we have realized through this system is that we cannot get justice, even when one of us is shot in the head in cold blood in front of dozens of witnesses. It's completely unacceptable to see the laws and the policies and the procedures be used to justify the killing of an unarmed African-American person. And this incident is not much different than ones that we've seen around the country, starting with Trayvon Martin, who was killed by a vigilante, to Mike Brown, to Eric Garner, to 12-year-old Tamir Rice. And in many of those instances, the laws are used to justify the misconduct and abuse, and sometimes even the murder of unarmed civilians at the hands of law enforcement, those who are supposed to protect and serve. We are standing here today declaring that enough is enough. We are tired of what's been happening within the system. We are tired of the voices of African Americans and other people of color being silenced within this system. We are tired of what is happening and what feels like the Jim Crow North. We're tired of being treated in a separate and unequal fashion. What has happened to Jamar Clark is a manifestation of the fact that we are in a land of disparities, a land in which we are treated like second-class citizens, and one in which we realize that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we pound the pavement, no matter how hard we lift our voices, they don't want to give us justice. What we're calling today for a paradigm shift. We're calling for Minnesotans of good conscience to join us in the fight for equal justice under the law. White Minnesotans especially, we're calling you to be allies and not to be complicit and silent about what is happening within this system. You know in your hearts that an injustice has been done today. And we would ask that you not, not cooperate with evil, but that you stand with people of color and rise against it. We are asking for those who are politically savvy to run for office because our government leaders have clearly let us down. Yes, yes. From Mayor Betsy Hodges, to the Minneapolis City Council, yes. to the Hennepin County Attorney, yes. to the Chief of Police, yes. and the list goes on and on. We are sick and tired of those that we elect to do their jobs, continuing to maintain the status quo, and rubber stamping the status quo, and allowing these things to happen. It's time for a paradigm shift. We need to be the change that we want to see. It remains to be seen whether a true dialogue between law enforcement, elected leaders, and community members will happen and what changes would come about as a result. In the meantime, the one thing everyone seems to agree on, Jamar Clark's death was a tragedy. The question remains, where do we go from there? More Minnesota Matters after this. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? Because I love you! <laughs> <laughs>
The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. All right. Now pass me the new filter. Why? Ha ha, very funny. Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Lawmakers and Governor Dayton are trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again after the legislature adjourned its 2016 regular session two weeks ago, failing in a last-minute attempt to pass a bonding bill for state construction projects and also adjourning without a transportation funding package, which lawmakers from both sides of the aisle said was one of their top priorities this year. MN's Bill Werner has been covering the aftermath of what most agree was a less-than-successful session. Bill, does it look like the governor will call lawmakers back for a special session? session. Well, Scott, it's too early to tell, although some analysts say don't hold your breath. Governor Mark Dayton this week outlined his requirements in order for him to call a special session. They include money for a number of additional programs and facilities, including increased staff and improved buildings at the State Security Hospital in St. Peter and money for a U of M Health Sciences building. The supplemental left out items that I have stated uh, for weeks before the end of the session I thought were imperative. The higher education, the, uh, the, the um, funding for, for St. Peter. Uh, which was uh, left out of the supplemental. So the, there's nothing in here that wasn't part of what I discussed before. The bonding projects, again, were ones that I had advocated for, in, including telling uh, the leaders that uh, my highest priority was the medical, the health sciences building at the university, which was left out of the bonding bill. So these are my requirements to put these this additional funding, not, not for satisfy me, but for the needs of Minnesota. Higher education was shortchanged in a way that's indefensible given the importance of the university and the Minnesota uh, State College and University campuses to the, all over the state, uh, to shortchange them on both the supplemental budget bill and the bonding bill is really uh, really just not, not in the best interest of Minnesota. So I'm going to insist on those. I'm going to insist on the funding we need to operate uh, Anoka and St. Peter at acceptable levels, as well as the bonding request for St. Peter so they can, uh, over time, the next couple of years, <clears throat> make uh, that facility a more... Uh, a safer facility, a more therapeutic environment for, for patients and for staff. There are things in there that I think are imperative, uh, and that's why I put them in there. The governor also wants options included for additional funding for Twin Cities mass transit, including the Southwest Light Rail Line. There has to be a metro transit component to the bill, whatever bill, before I'll call a special session. Republicans want to focus on just Southwest. It's broader than that. It should be broader than that. It should involve other projects, including ones in the East Metro. Um, you know, they're trying to use Southwest as a poster board for uh, denying metro transit funding for all of the metropolitan area, and that's a very short-sighted strategy and, and one that uh, is, is not acceptable. As for paying for additional mass transit, the governor says... There would not need to be state money going into uh, metro transit funding or, or, or a Southwest Light Rail project, but it could not prohibit the Metropolitan Council from using its funds available. When questioned about whether all the aforementioned items are absolute must-haves in order for him to call the legislature back into special session, the governor said... I'm going to stand on what I said. They need, they need all to be in there. But, I, you know, we'll have to see what happens. I'm not going to get into... They need all to be in there, okay? That's my position today. They all need to be in there. 
I expect them all to be in there. I require them all to be in there. So judge for yourself how much wiggle room the governor might allow. Republican House Speaker Kurt Dodd says... I assume that the governor is going to be reasonable. Uh, if he's not, if he's going to have to have everything exactly the way he wants it, um, or he's not going to call a special session, it's probably going to be difficult to get there. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate. As far as Dayton's stance on transit and Southwest Light Rail in particular, Dowd says... We need more uh, conversation with the governor about what he intends and, and how Met Council or CTIB would move forward, what that looks like, who would pay the ongoing operating costs. Um, so we just don't have enough information to even comment on whether that would be something that would be included. Something that would enable Southwest Light Rail to move forward in whatever way, whether it be without state money, is that problematic as I, far as your caucus is you concerned? Know, Again, um, it, it's not my responsibility to sell Southwest Light Rail, and I want to remind folks that Southwest Light Rail is so controversial that there are two pending lawsuits trying to stop Southwest Light Rail right now. Um, so we're not saying absolutely not, but, but it's also not my responsibility to sell it to the public and convince people that this is a good project that must happen. Um, whoever the proponents of the project are need to, need to make that case. Um, and with two pending lawsuits, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for us to be moving forward, but I'm willing to be reasonable and I'm willing to, to compromise and I'm willing to listen to the governor. Um, if he's willing to do those same things, I think we'll have a productive conversation. The governor also says the bonding bill that the legislature tried unsuccessfully to pass in the closing minutes of the 2016 regular session had earmarks for highway projects, as he puts it, quote, picking winners and losers according to the discretion of a handful of legislators behind closed doors, instead of basing those decisions on established priorities. Speaker Dowd's response. They arose because of the legislative auditor's report um, that basically uh, chided the, the, the MnDOT for not following a, an orderly process in determining which projects should get funded. Um, so we wanted to make sure that, that we funded and put money towards some of the biggest projects that were considered to be some of the most important transportation projects in the state. Things like Highway 23, things like Highway 14, you know, the most dangerous stretch of highway in the state, Highway 12. So we. We literally wanted to name those projects as being uh, priorities and make sure that they get funding in this bill. We think that's important. And, and Minnesotans support that, and they're not partisan. You know, If the governor doesn't want to fund Highway 23 or Highway 14 or Highway 12, um, I don't think I'm going to be the governor's biggest problem. I think the folks in those communities are going to be the governor's biggest problem. And Scott, it looks like a full-blown transportation funding package is probably not in the cards if the governor calls a special session of the legislature. The best he and they could probably do in that area is to include some transportation dollars in the bonding bill, but it remains to be seen whether they can even agree on that. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach, F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather... So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. 
You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's rogue construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota DNR is planning a total takeover event at Minnesota State Parks on June 11th. MNN's Tasha Radel has all the details. That's right, Scott. The total takeover event is right around the corner. The goal is to fill every campsite in Minnesota State Parks next Saturday, June 11th, which is also National Get Outdoors Day. Joining me to get all the details is Pat Arndt, Communications and Outreach Manager for Minnesota State Parks, a division of the DNR. Welcome, Pat. Thank you, Tasha. Good to be here with you. Thanks. Well, wanted to visit with you a little bit. I know uh, coming up on Saturday, June 11th is a, a pretty... Uh, a big and important day. It's National Get Outdoors Day. And in addition, uh, the DNR is, is, is pushing a June 11th total takeover. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, definitely. Uh, National Get Outdoors Day is a national celebration, and all of our Minnesota state parks are free on that particular day. And then we're doing something new this year. We've never done this before. We're having a total takeover of our Minnesota State Parks and Trails campgrounds. What we're hoping is that we can fill every campsite in every state park in Minnesota on that day. So we're challenging the public to go ahead and get all those sites filled up. We have a new system now where you can go online and you make your reservation before you arrive. We no longer have the first come, first serve sites. So it'll be easy to tell when we start to fill up those parks. Are we seeing a pretty good response rate so far on this total takeover? Yes, we are. We are approaching 70% right now, um, and we're a couple weeks away from that actual weekend. So we're pretty pleased with that number. And we've got about 20-some parks that already are totally taken over. And how does somebody or a family that's interested in, in participating go to find perhaps a, a site nearest them or you know something that is open and still available? Oh, I'm glad you asked that, Tasha. You can go to mndnr.gov slash 125, and you will see the total takeover on that webpage. And we have a map, and we'll update it once a week, and we'll show you like which parks are totally taken over and which ones still have spots available. The other thing that you could do is just go to mndnr.gov slash reservations and search on June 11th, you put your date in there, and then make sure you click the search the entire state button, and then you'll have a list that will pop up with all of the parks that still have campsite openings on June 11th. And, you know, we don't want to discourage people if they can't, you know, get out there and and actually camp in a state park, but it would be a great day just to to come and take part in events that are happening. Is there going to be a lot of uh, family-friendly events going on, Pat? 
Oh, definitely. I'm glad you asked about that, Tasha. We have lots of family-friendly events going on that day, in particular at Lake Carlo State Park, which is near Alexandria. We have a summer sampler. We also have a summer sampler at Whitewater State Park down in southeast Minnesota. And those summer samplers uh, introduce people to all the different types of recreation and things that you can do at our state parks. Um, so it kind of gives you that little taste of, you know, if you want to go camping, if you want to paddle, if you want to learn, you know, bike riding, whatever it is, um, you can go to one of those summer samplers. And then the other thing you can do is go to our Minnesota State Parks and Trails calendar. And again, that's mndnr.gov slash ptcalendar. And you can search by the date, which is June 11th, and then, or you can search by topic if you have a certain kind of program you'd like to go to, um, you know, birds or mammals or whatever that might be, or you can search by location. So you have all those different choices, and we will have probably literally hundreds of programs going on over the course of that weekend. And Pat, is there relatively a state park pretty close to everybody in Minnesota? Yes, there is, Tasha. There is a state park within about 30 miles of everyone in the state, no matter where you are. So even if you're not going to come and camp with us or stay overnight with us, if you have your cabin someplace in the state and you're going there, or you're at home for the weekend, just check that out. Look at the map online and you'll see what's right out your back door. And for uh, someone listening today that has maybe never been to a state park, uh, what would be your big sell uh, on why they should check it out, Pat? Well, Minnesota State Parks are the most beautiful places in Minnesota. They have been set aside for all Minnesotans to enjoy. So whether it's the sheer cliffs on the north shore of Lake Superior or the bison down in southwest Minnesota or the prairie, it's, they are the most special places that we have in Minnesota. And the scenery as well as the programs that we offer are just stellar. And I'm about out of time today, Pat, and wanted to kind of give you the, the final word. Uh, any Anything else you wanted to add and, and make sure we get that message out there today? Well, I hope that Minnesotans come out for this total takeover and be part of something big like this. If you do come out, we're going to have a, a sticker for you, no matter where you're camping in the state, something that you can wear with pride or, or put on your water bottle um, to say that you took part in the total takeover with Minnesota State Parks. And another thing that's pretty special this year is we're celebrating a, a pretty big uh, a birthday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Minnesota State Park Centrales are 125 years old this year. Can you believe that? It's amazing. It started with Itasca State Park, which was established in 1891. And so we have lots of events that are going on that are related to celebrating the 125 years of Minnesota's rich and deep history of really enjoying the outdoors and spending time outdoors with their families. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. 
They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. New Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle officially took over his duties in Minnesota this week by touring the state. Stops in Spicer, Niswa, Hutchinson, and Purim were part of the 2016 Gopher Road Trip. The week didn't go by without some early news as Coyle placed legendary wrestling coach Jay Robinson on administrative leave amidst a potential prescription drug dealing scandal within his team. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm recently sat down for a chat with the new Gopher AD. Well, thank you, Scott. And Mark, Mark Coyle, what have these uh, first handful of days been like as University of Minnesota Athletic Director? Uh, you know, it's been very humbling. You know, uh, excited to be back, you know, having been here for uh, four years back in the early 2000s and, and to have the chance to come back to Minnesota, a place that means a lot to me and my wife. Uh, you know, having our two uh, oldest children born here in, in Minnesota, it means a lot to us to be back here. And uh, it's been really humbling. We're really excited to be back. What was the draw? What did you like about the first go around here that, uh, that enticed you, that this was the place you wanted to come to? You know, Mike, uh, growing up in northern Iowa, you know, we used to come up to Minnesota all the time uh, for vacation. You know, go to the Twin Cities to watch the Gophers, the Vikings. Uh, you know, we used to vacation up in uh, northern Minnesota at a place called Sand Lake, and, and it always had special meaning. And when we came back here uh, in 2001, when I had a chance to work here, uh, you know, being close to family. You know, we, we could get in the car, go see my family down in Iowa, see family in Rochester. My wife's family's in Chicago. And then you throw in the fact that two of our kids were born here. Uh, you know, it made it special. Then our third son, Benjamin, was born down in Kentucky and we're down there but uh but again it's just a special place and we're really excited to be back here I know it's early uh what is the vision what do you foresee what is the potential just as an athletic department overall here for the Golden Gophers well, you know, I think, uh, you know, college athletics sometimes lose a sight of the most important thing. It's the students who compete. Uh, and my goal is to make sure that the uh, the students and the coaches are always the focal point of our department. And I think it's my job uh, as an athletic director to work closely with our staff to make sure we give all of our students and our coaches a chance to compete at the highest level, uh, but also, most importantly, compete academically on campus and represent this place in the right way. So that's going to be a big focus for us. What um, you you were out a couple of days this week as part of the uh, coach's caravan, the uh, the road trip, and you'll be out next week as well. What what's the feedback been like here early on? What have you been hearing from Gopher fans as to what they want from from you as an athletic director, and what their impressions are of the of the athletic department? Well, you know, you know, I, I think people are proud of Minnesota, and, and there's no doubt the program's been through a lot of transition. And I think I can hopefully come in here and work closely with the staff to to make people understand how many positive things are going on at the institution. And we talked about the six conference championships this year, the national championship in women's hockey. Uh, we have a baseball team playing in, in College Station this weekend in the baseball tournament, the state tournament. There's a lot of success going on, and, and I think it's my job to celebrate that success with our students and our staff. And again, we want to restore some of that pride. Now, your free, first week on the job didn't go without some some duty that I'm sure you weren't uh, looking forward to, but Jay Robinson and the wrestling program have been in the news with, with the situation going on there. You placed him on administrative leave. Take us through uh, that decision and, you know, what, what what do you know near term that you can tell us, if anything? Well, you know, I really don't have much to add. You know, obviously, uh, I, I know Coach Robinson from my time here before and, and have a lot of respect for Jay. And, and I, I felt given the, the seriousness of the allegations, uh, you know, it was best that we put him on paid leave while the institution does their investigation. Uh, I don't know the timing of that, how long it will take. But I think it's important that that we, we take the time to make sure we gather all the information and find out what did happen, what didn't happen, and get to the truth, and then we'll go from there. 
Um, other things going on, men's basketball did not have a great year. They've had a few off-the-court issues as well. I know you've had a, a chance to meet with head coach Richard Pitino. What's your impression there of him, and what would you like to see you know, future-wise from, uh, from men's basketball? Well, you know, Mike, I think one of the keys to being a good athletic director is listening. You know, And I've had a chance to visit with Richard on a couple different occasions, uh, and I think it's important for me to listen to hear from him, hey, what do we need to do to help this program go? You know, I promise you, nobody wants to win more than Coach Patino and the kids on his team. And again, I think it's my job to, to work closely with him and his staff and his students to see what we can do to provide the resources they need to compete at a high level. Obviously, we're not happy with the results. I get that, and we want to win. You know, I, I always talk about how winning's fun. It, it kind of breeds, you know, if you will. And and, uh, and I look forward to, to listening to Coach Patino, listening to his staff, and seeing what I can do to help that program achieve the goals that they have. You inherit a big fundraising effort, a big campaign. Construction started. There's all kinds of excavation tools behind the, the building you now, uh, where your office is. Um, how exciting is that to, when you walk into the door now every day, you see all the uh, moving equipment, construction equipment, and know here in a couple of years that you'll have one of the better uh, places for athletes to compete? Well, you know, it's a huge, pro you know, a part of our program, you know, and, and Coach Clay's talked about on the caravan that we we're on this week, how, you know, it's an investment in the students. It really is an investment in the students, you know, and, and we have 750 kids who represent this institution, represent the state, and, and when we can provide them with the tools that they need to compete academically, to compete athletically, to compete socially in a positive way, we're doing something good for students, and there's no doubt that Athletes Village will be a big part of that, and it's exciting to be a part of that, and obviously, you know, we're going to have to get aggressive in our fundraising. That's something I enjoy doing is going out and meeting people and selling our our vision of Gopher Athletics, and again, it's going to be something that all of Minnesota can be proud of when it's completed. Welcome back to Minnesota. Thanks so much. We appreciate everything you do for us, Mike. All right. He is Mark Coyle. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.